Welcome to the Barnes FM Podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to A Conversation with Dr. Tao Braun. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots, and it's Wednesday, July 27th in the year 2022. Tonight we have a very interesting interview with somebody that will be new to you. His name is Dr. Tal Braun, and... Once we enter, I get him introduced, you'll learn all about his complex background. He's worked as a psychologist in integrative psychology. He's worked with active shooter events, and he's been very active in this pandemic and COVID nonsense. But we're going to get into some very interesting discussions tonight about psychosis and the cult of America that we have become. Before we begin, in this time, things are very unstable. And we have to be very aware of that and how that's going to affect our finances and our security in our homes. The folks at Birch Gold are here to help. Patriots, we know the economy is in a mess, but you know what's never good? When your nation's supposed authority on economic policy completely misses the flashing red lights of impending inflation. Now, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has finally admitted, quote, There have been unanticipated and large shocks to the economy that have boosted energy and food prices and supply bottlenecks that affected our economy badly that I didn't at any time fully understand. What can we say? You know who understands the real threat of inflation? It's the people who have invested in gold and silver. And that's why we have Birch Gold. They're working with you to protect your savings from a highly turbulent economy by diversifying your 401k and IRA into gold, physical gold. And it's not too late for you to take action now. Text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898 and get a free info kit on diversifying and protecting your savings with precious metals. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of satisfied customers, Birch Gold has the experts to help you. Text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898 and get real help from Birch Gold today. Again, text BARDS to 989898 to claim your free, no-obligation info kit on protecting your savings with gold. And Patriots, all of those links are below the podcast and a reminder of your texting code, 989898. And you're going to text BARDS to that number. Before we begin tonight, I want to play with you just, not really, I want to play for you, would be a better way of saying that, a little piece here, which I think sums up pretty much the state of those that are following the COVID narrative. I was just waiting for Fauci to come out and stand there on the podium like he does, give a speech to tell you that, you know, to take your finger, shove it up your butt, hold it there three seconds, rotate it, pull it out, put it in your mouth. If you can't smell or taste it, you got COVID. <laughs> but if you could smell or taste it, that's what you get for listening to Fauci. 
And you know people would do it. You know all the people in LA and New York would be walking around, yeah, I ain't my own s I trust the science. I trust the science, of course. Anything you're saying, you're a science denier. Rachel Maddow would come on TV. Some people are afraid to eat their own These are domestic terrorists. White supremacists afraid of brown poop. We need a poop passport. It'd be never ending. It is never ending. I said all along that if I was president, I would have told everybody that the cure for COVID was to push a peanut with your nose down the middle of the freeway. And I swear there'd people that would be going to be doing it. They'd be like, how long? I'd be like, oh, it's got to be a mile, a mile. And then you'd have all these people walking around with no noses. It's awesome. That's just exactly where we'd be. Lots of things happening in our world. It's a crazy world that we're in, obviously, and things are starting to fall apart very rapidly. All things are collapsing around us simultaneously. And it creates for a lot of chaos and a very difficult time in which to identify truth. Deception is the name of the game, and destabilization is how they conquer people. Tonight's guest is very interesting. And I didn't know much about him until he came on the show, and I've been very impressed with the discussions we've had. So I think you're going to enjoy this interview. This interview is a long interview tonight. It runs about an hour and 20 minutes. I would really encourage you to try to listen to this all the way to the end because there's some real interesting surprises that come out at the very end of the interview. Worth listening to. And if you can't get it all tonight, try to break it up and listen to the end. It, there are some really good things that he brings up, some surprises that, even for me, I was like, wow, that's very insightful. And just a good way of looking at our world. We are in a time right now of really as a country in the valley of decision. And that decision is going to be weighed a lot on us on which path we choose. And the only way we're going to get there is to start revealing the truths around things and the greater awarenesses of what has happened. So with that, let me introduce to you Dr. Tao Braun. Well, Patriots, I'm really honored today to have Dr. Tao Braun with us. Dr. Braun is a clinical psychologist who is focused on integrative psychology and wellness. He's also a subject matter expert for the U.S. National Counterterrorism and Emergency Management Group, and he advises and trains educational institutions, healthcare facilities, corporations, and both state and federal organizations in violence prevention strategies and crisis response. And Dr. Braun has also been very active in the COVID response. So Dr. Braun, welcome to the show. If you don't mind, we'd start with a little bit of background about yourself. Thank you. Um, so I hear that word. I, I've got to change it in my bio. I hear the word uh, uh, integrative, uh, and, and uh, in te- uh, I hear it butchered. Um, it's probably a, it's probably a typo or two in there as well. That's adding uh, um, to to that change of word. But I think that what's interesting about that is that I think that as as this pandemic has um, uh, persisted. Um, you know, like like a resistant uh, microbe. Um, I think that uh, my uh, tolerance for hearing my own bio has diminished. Um, and what becomes more important than hearing my educational background or even um, letting an audience, you know, sort of uh, the highlights for me, uh, what's becoming more important than what I've done is what I'm trying to do. Um, uh, I think that 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 is sort of 
future orientation um, has become more and more important to people, uh, including myself, uh, for survivability. You know, what are we what are we doing today, and more importantly, what does tomorrow look like? Um, and then the next part to that is that the uh, integrative part uh, really has been the bulk of what I good at is integrating different systems and communicating uh, various systems um, that need to function with each other. So you know, when it comes to my specialty, which is the prevention and response of mass killing, there is obviously overlap into law enforcement, public health, um, emergency management, uh, you know, everything from planning and uh, contingency strategies uh, all the way through to, okay, so this thing has happened and what did we learn from it? And so integrating that is really what I'm known for and then being able to communicate the various bits and pieces. But I think that that, that integration uh, you know, sort of now I think comes with uh, a must-have uh, for anybody that is involved in this work, which is that we have to be able to speak to the integrity of our work. We have to be able to speak to why should somebody listen to me? Why should somebody trust my information uh, versus somebody else's? Um, um, this becomes crucial uh, in times of emergency, and it becomes even more crucial uh, for, uh, as you know, when somebody is being wounded, there is no time to uh, to, to play. There is no time to uh, overthink a strategy. Uh, if somebody is bleeding out and there is a tourniquet around, great. And if there isn't, what else have you got? And I think when somebody steps forward uh, to offer a solution, I think that there has to be an established trust. Uh, in being able to say, we're just going to run with your solution, and um, it's it's more than likely the right one, given the fact that we've done the work um, up front, and now your advice or your method uh, will be implemented um, uh, in a time of emergency. And I think that that's crucial because I think that's exactly what the uh, predators and captors did. They exploited uh, that uh, vulnerability where people suddenly need help. And so, uh, oh, you're a doctor. Oh, you've got a white coat. Oh, you're head of uh, NIH. Oh, you're head of infectious disease. Oh, you're, you know, you're this, you're that. And the exploit there is that uh, without people have knowing that for the last few years that these agencies have been captured, um, they would have just gone like many most have done. Um, they have just gone to that person who offered the solution and said, yes, sure. I will just, you know, there's nothing else I can do and you are in the position where you are the provider. And so therefore I will trust. Now that that trust is dwindling and people are starting to look around and start, you know, it becomes crucial that people like myself make ourselves available to have, uh, you know, our integrity checked um, because uh, going forward, trust is going to be more vital than ever. This is a really interesting place to start off, and I, I, I like where you just laid this out, because right now as a nation, we're dealing with basically a fear trauma, and it's been an inducement of fear to such a degree that I would argue we probably have suffered a psychosis of some nature and even a cognitive snap to a certain degree in the country. And so the trust that we had in the institutions has diminished radically. Let's start there and let's talk a little bit about the effects of the psychology and the, the effects of fear and the chemistry on the brain and what that does to people. Um, I think so. 
the probably the most important thing that somebody needs to understand about fear and the reaction to fear in terms of the human brain is um, that we are well aware of the sort of adrenaline-based response uh, to fear, uh, the sort of fight and flight and freeze. And um, you know, a couple of years ago, I started adding you know the modern-day equivalent, which is film. You know, uh, standing there in the midst of uh, some sort of traumatic moment and somebody thinking that their survivability is documenting the event. Um, and in some part, uh, you know, it's sad uh, that that becomes um, you know an established sort of generational tool as part of coping with the thing that you're seeing. In in front of you is documenting it. Um, there's a desperation in that. If you think about, if you think about you know, sort of an evolutionary point of that, in in some weird way, um, you know, that is the equivalent of somebody coming back and almost being trampled to death by a woolly mammoth, and then you know, taking some of the blood from the meat of the woolly mammoth and 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 drawing it on the cave wall and telling the story and trying to prevent you know, that happening again. Sort of the first hot wash uh, of 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 a, of a crisis, you know, becomes this. Oh, you know, this is what happened, and um, you know, this is what you have to look out for. And so, in in a world where people are feeling uh, for the last few years, sort of um, you know, more and more reaction to to all forms of fear, um, extreme fear, is some form of depersonalization uh, where the event is happening, but it may not be happening to me, or if it is happening to me, um, the extreme nature of it uh, creates, uh, when you talk about a psychosis, um, the world is actually cope, uh, only coping uh, with this uh, depersonalized, this is this is happening, but I'm going to be okay. Uh, at some point, a solution will emerge. No matter where you are in in this pandemic, with a belief system and what you you know what you know and what you don't know. Ultimately, we're all being driven by this depersonalization. This um, this is happening, but it's it's solvable, or we're going to be able to do this before it gets me. You know, it's, it's a very high level form of denial that allows us to um, carry on uh, thinking, uh, because otherwise, um, the even lower forms of fear create cognitive rigidity. They decrease critical thinking. Um, they decrease the ability to work with the team um, on a physical level there's a curve uh, it's a bell curve that basically um, all, all all organisms need some form of mild stress uh, discomfort for growth and for change and then that curve goes up so in other words performance goes up with sort of the organism feeling uh, the squeeze of something. And then it gets to a point at the top of the curve where the squeeze now becomes too much. There's too much stress and that the organism then declines uh, all the way through to lack of performance and um, and ultimately death. Um, and so what, we've, what we're currently in um, is that we're um, at the top of that squeeze and uh, the systems are declining and people's biology is declining and ultimately part of a reaction to that that allows us more space, uh, sort of an artificial space to carry on working the problem, uh, is some form of depersonalization and some form of denial. Um, and it's very temporary, and it can it, it's sort of a, a response that can mostly happens uh, uh, biologically without us being able to control it. But uh, having an awareness of it um, uh, is extremely important because then you can use it. 
um, as this temporary tool to let you know, wow, things have got really bad. I don't seem to care anymore. Uh, oh, wow. You know, it's uh, I banged my shin on that table and the pain threshold, my pain threshold seems to, have, uh, you know, uh, uh, increased and in that I hardly felt that or, oh, I cut myself and I'm bleeding. Um, but, you know, um, normally it would bother me and it doesn't even seem to bother me. Sort of this dreamlike state allows us to have some self-awareness uh, that we're in trouble uh, and that things need to be corrected fast. Um, you know, that feedback loop um, is only as useful uh, as the awareness that is brought to it. So I imagine you're familiar with the Milgram experiment. It was in the 60s, I believe, where they had people put into a room. This was a Yale experiment, and they tried to see if they would be willing to administer pain to another person, though it was they were creating the artificial environment where people were screaming, supposedly, as the pain levels went up, and they found that people could detach and be more obedient to authority than to be humanistic and connected to the subject that they were administering the pain to, supposedly, by pressing buttons. There seems to be this sort of detachment that has happened since COVID, and it is literally a, an increase in obedience to authority, and some of that pain is almost seemed to be a willingness to self-inflict more damage and not listen to truth. What's your thoughts on the psychology of that? Because it's pretty evident right now when we try to approach people with truth, there is a really fundamental wall that goes up and there is a strong obedience to authority, even though the authority itself is contradicting itself many times these days. Uh, that's really uh, a, a, a great, there's a couple of concepts that are um, really awesome to be able to explore. And so I'll try and hold on to a, a couple of thoughts that ran through my head, as you said that, um, including sort of this great metaphor um, that I think is uh, read it during you know uh, my college years and it stuck with me um, as a great way of understanding you know uh, how terrified people are of uh, new solutions um, and that uh, let, let me start by saying that um, ultimately the war on truth you know didn't happen you know, with the pandemic I think the wind up to it, um, it happened over um, at least probably um, two or three decades. Um, I remember starting to poke fun at this the psychology, the psychological and self-help movement that ushered in sort of this time period of magical thinking that was extremely destructive. Um, there was a book, for example, called I'm Okay, You're Okay. And, I, you know, I, I like moments that sort of tickle my brain in the absurdity. I, I couldn't think about sitting next to... Um, Adolf Hitler, uh, or in this case, I uh, couldn't sit next to Dr. Fauci uh, or uh, Rochelle Walensky, you know, head of CDC. If I was sitting next to them, across from them on a train, and um, I would uh, be laughing and uh, uh, the irony of thinking that we could create this world uh, where all behaviors are, are okay. Um, and this idea that I'm okay, you're okay. You know, sometimes people are not okay and sometimes their actions are not okay and they need to be stopped. Um, you know, the, the, the ushering in of this, um, everybody's a winner, 
um, you know, high levels of tolerance for all forms of behavior, enabling, enabling and uh, dysfunctional behavior, um, pretending um, there's a whole generation of very um, more than likely vaccine injured um, uh, young men uh, in the U.S. Uh, that uh, uh, coping mechanisms, both from the parents and from society, it led to led to people, uh, parents enabling their non-thriving child uh, all the way through into adulthood and fend, you know, taking care of them um, without ever discussing that there was something wrong with them or that they were never functional or that they are still, you know, not able to leave home. You know, no need. Uh, you know the sort of um, the pain of that uh, is this other this other form of um, of um, uh, you know, sort of denial and depertalization that this that 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 this that was one of the first new normals um, that led that led up to this very this world of a lot of magical thinking and part of it is um, if, if you think about um, sort of um, uh, the unwillingness to hear truths. Um, a, a lot, a lot of that is um, programmed responses. And when you talk about Milgram, I'm going to go back to what you're saying about Milgram because there's a couple of things that that are people need to know about the Milgram experiments. Um, for one, it's it showed that there was a subset that majority of people, even though that most people don't think they're going to be in this category. And I think this pandemic should show, at least it's shown me, and and. Uh, be interested to hear if it's similar for you, is that it does show you how easy it is to make people compliant. And ultimately, that experiment replicated, you know, what would it, why, why did people in the Holocaust just follow orders? And how, why did they use that as, you know, a legitimate excuse after the Holocaust? You know, very few people were prosecuted uh, or held accountable um, for all of the atrocities uh, that were done in the Holocaust. There was a tiny percentage of people that faced uh, trial and tiny percent of people that ultimately were held accountable and all of the rest of the co-conspirators, people that were compliant, people that were directly involved or indirectly really just got away with it. And part of it is this, uh, it was this realization um, that it's somewhat of a legitimate excuse for people when they say, I was just following orders. Um, now, following orders uh, is part of uh, herd survivability. Um, when when you have uh, animals that have to live in community, um, there are rules um, and there are um, self-imposed rules on, uh, on species amongst themselves. And that those rules have to be listened to, otherwise it leads to the death of the entire community. Um, and so... That exploit can predators can use that exploit um, to gain control over another species, um, and in this case, the predators that have preyed on us, the global predators that have preyed on humanity, have used the exploit that most people will follow orders, most people will go along with something um, if they are told to. But then there's there's aspects to the Milgram experiments that I think that are extremely relevant that have been missed out on, one of which is um, the idea that um, these people were being told that they were shocking somebody, um, but they never actually saw the person um, being shocked. Uh, they never smelt burning flesh. Um, they never saw the demise of a human being. And so that becomes really important for a predator to know it's very important to keep the evidence of their crimes out of sight. So most people did not see the dead bodies, 
from the uh, assisted living communities and nursing homes and hospitals uh, where they culled off the elderly. Most people were not involved in those burials. Most people did not go up to a refrigerated truck. Uh, most people didn't have to move the bodies. Most people never smelt the rotting, you know, a rotting corpse anywhere. Um, and so um, that becomes a way um, of, uh, de once again, um, depersonalizing someone, so, uh, uh, the person so that the set of circumstances can, can control the behavior. Uh, the second aspect of that is you can see that uh, the pressure from somebody in those experiments um, was ongoing. You can't just give somebody an instruction once uh, it has to be um, it has to be dialed up you can't start at a point where you ask for compliance at something that feels uncomfortable right away uh, the discomfort needs to be gradual at the um, there was a, sort of an over highlighting on the power of authoritative um, uh, control in those experiments, in my opinion. The idea that this person with a white coat um, was the one that was, um, you know, had the authority uh, to keep the experiment uh, going. Um, there was the, the, the real power uh, comes from that, that this wasn't a set of. Uh, a set of circumstances that just happened to somebody. The power comes from uh, the, the willingness to say yes to something, and then it becomes extremely hard to back out of it. Uh, those experiments were participants that had signed up with some form of, of incentive, some form of permission slip. They, they, had, they put themselves in that situation. And so that's another exploit that has been used uh, in, in, in this, in that the, what is, what's been told to get compliance from people um, is they have been using techniques from the beginning of this pandemic to get somebody to buy in and then to, to back out of it becomes extremely hard. And then they show the power of the buy-in. Uh, with the incentives and the um, you know, sort of positive reinforcement that comes with it um, by contradicting that with the information of what's happening to the people that haven't bought in. You know, so the fake, the fake comparisons of, uh, you know, higher rates of hospitalization or this person deserves to lose their job because they're not doing the right thing for society. Um, that becomes extremely important. Uh, another reason that someone won't back out in, to, in, even in the face of, of new, new information or truth or discomfort is that the buy-in right at the beginning of how somebody bought in becomes uh, relevant. And then lastly, uh, the, uh, to me, the, the, the real lack um, of further research that the Mogram experiment should have driven is the area that I'm the most interested in, which is, you know, the, the, um, biopsychosocial aspects to, to, to psychopaths. You know, what is the biology of a psychopath? What is the, uh, you know, what, what societal circumstances allow for psychopathic behavior? Uh, what sort of chemistry is involved? Um, and, and also, you know, the, 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 the psychology aspect of it, of understanding, you know, all of the, the thinking and belief systems uh, of the person themselves and then everything around it that can get to the point where psychopathic behavior is is tolerated really should have come from experiments. Uh, well, they should have come from the real world um, examples uh, like the Holocaust or um, war, uh, any other wars or genocides or uh, major crimes. They should always drive science to, to work out why did this happen. But in this case, 
the big question with Mogram that I think was 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 a, a missed opportunity was if this was real life, then who does take on the role of choosing a job to have a white coat to be able to abuse whether it's animals or people? And, you know, I, I think that, that what what was you know what was so overly focused on is the participant, but what about the the, the predator, what, what, what about those that would choose a career path that allowed them uh, the space uh, to get somebody to do things on their behalf uh, or set up a set of circumstances where ultimately the thing that they were lusting over uh, was suffering? And so I think that that in, in future, I think what what I'd love to see more people being interested in is, is um, you know what what happens uh, to people, you know what 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 is the makeup of somebody that uh, literally, I mean, I, I'll just use the word gets off because there is a sexual component to this uh, for um, all forms of people that do intentional violence or create intentional suffering. There is a sexual component. Um, to that. So these people get off on the suffering that they create. This whole area is an area that I'm fascinated with on so many levels. And you've hit on a number of them. One of the things in this current culture of what I would call progressive liberalism is this acceptance of any behavior is okay as long as it doesn't affect me. So I'm wondering in the context of what we were just talking about, the Milgram experiment, this sort of white coat and to put that in kind of parentheses, psychopathic behavior, do you think that in a society that the lack of consequences and accountability for personal actions breeds more of that type of behavior? Yeah, in, in, my, in my opinion, absolutely. I think that what you're looking at is that systems uh, will um, iterate, meaning that they will... Um, uh, just keep repeating, um, but there are in dynamic systems. There are always moments where there is a an opportunity where that system hits some form of crisis point, some form of chaos, and in that chaos allows for new order to emerge. Um, and if nothing changes, or if there are if if the system is meddled with uh, to keep it uh, on that trajectory, um, then you start looking at a system and you start looking at things like magnification, amplification. Um, where just like, you know, sort of the annoying sound from a microphone that feedback on itself, uh, you know, you get the squelch um, and it and it gets to the point where it, it's just, it, it's feeding into itself and amplifying. So you can manipulate that. You can, you know, just as a sound technique, sound technician can work really quickly to get rid of that. Well, you can also create that uh feedback loop, if that's your desire, if your desire is a, an agenda. And so this becomes a, a really nice segue into an aspect that took me quite quite some time to get to with the pandemic. I think one, one of the challenges here um, and for a lot of people um, and, and why I think law enforcement um, had, you know, is still uh, very much absent uh, from from the pandemic in terms of investigations and um, and even being willing to um, 
you know, openly discuss the possibility that the whole pandemic is intentional violence. I mean, there are people that in my field that this is this is their specialty. I mean, there's people that are my teachers and, and mentors that are completely absent uh, from from a genocide, you know, right under their noses, or um, you know, uh, U.S. government declaring war not only on its own people but but uh, on, on the world. And um, whether they were a fan of that or uh, whether opposed to it, um, it's bizarre that it is not being discussed. I mean, it is just really, really strange and odd behavior uh, to have something so extreme. Um, you know, you're standing in a in a building that's completely on fire, and you 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 you're talking about you know uh, the football game the night before. It is absolutely bizarre to watch human beings do this at this time. Um, the, uh, the 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 the. This real world example, I think, uh, that I'm talking about that took me a while is um, a person called Dr. Martine Rothblatt. Um, I'm looking at uh, this from a mass killing perspective. And the conclusion that I came to is that the challenge here is it's, it's very much like, like a whodunit, you know, um, the game Cluedo, um, you know, leading to eventually um, everyone who's playing knows, you know, uh, what room the, the crime, the murder got taken in and who did it and with what weapon. And in this case, we're, we're nowhere near understanding um, the true perpetrators, the sort of apex level. I think it's very easy to spot the opportunistic uh, um, predators, you know, sort of if you think about it as, as predators, you, know, you, you what we're seeing are the, are the uh, uh, vultures and the hyenas that have come for the carrion and they, they are preying on the bones uh, and scraps and even you know recent a recent kill um, that they'll try and get uh, get hold of, but um, they are not the killers. And I think the, the issue for me around this is that genocides um, uh, um, and mass killings on this level are generally there's normally one person, maybe two at most, that are a single driver. Uh, the, the the person that's able to orchestrate uh, the you know the system, um, you know I think World War II is easy to to understand that that Adolf Hitler was the major driver um, of various things that came together to make that happen and and you know across the world whether it's a terrorist organization um, or another genocide somewhere you can you can go through it historically and you can see the leadership. Um, it's, it's just it's a triangle, and at the top of it, uh, it, it it's not going to work. Just like a, a mass killing at a school or a bombing, the more people that are originally involved in discussing that this crime is going to take place, the less likely it is to actually occur. You generally will find at most a team of two, maybe three, but generally when there's a third, it starts falling apart. And so I've been going back and forward in terms of main drivers, and um, I settled uh, for myself. Um, on, on two main uh, perpetrators, um, and one of them is an unknown character by the name of Dr. Martine Rothblatt, who is the founder of XM Radio, um, and has uh, sort of this um, veil um, of, uh, once again, looking at the Mulgrew exper uh, experiment, this, this helper of humanity, this inventor of technology, this inventor of, uh, of um, 
technology that can lead to organs uh, uh, being grown in labs now. And the inventor of this person that's going to make the whole world better uh, by eliminating suffering through, whether it's through science or through communication. Uh, but really, um, if this person didn't have the title doctor or wasn't perceived as a white coat scientist or had the sort of... Um, yeah, in intelligence, the high level of manipulative intelligence that needed, I mean, this person's own writings and their discussion um, would be enough to see them, um, well, in today's world, there is no psychiatric, long-term psychiatric facility uh, that should house people like this. I mean, we, 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 we let these people free um, uh, to go and cause harm, and then we try and prosecute them for the crimes, or uh, in this case, like what's going on with the Parkland uh, uh, murderer, you know, we're trying to decide whether they should be put to death. But, and you know, we, we let them free to uh, run their mouths and, and orchestrate their ideas without either ever saying to them, no, we're not going to let that happen. Uh, no, that's not a good idea. And in summary, and I really want people to go and do their own uh, investigation and work on, on Dr. Uh, Martin slash Martin Martin Rothblatt is that the crazy talk here uh, is that if this wasn't a multi-billionaire, if this wasn't a t uh, scientist or um, you know a um, serial entrepreneur, um, this person would be as seen as batshit as crazy as as it gets. Um, because ultimately, the summary of this person's belief system is that uh, to alleviate suffering um, on, on the planet it comes from two main aspects. The um, first is physical suffering. If somebody has a physical disease, uh, including getting old uh, and decrepit, then the solution needs to be uh, that that person uh, starts having more and more access um, to body parts, replaceable body parts. Um, but even then, you know, it, 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 sci-fi makes it seem like somebody can have, you know, sort of a cyborg-like, um, you know, body suits. Um, in reality, um, you know, even amputees will tell you that that there's pain in the prosthetics uh, that have to, you know, interact with with flesh. And so, Dr. Martin Rothblatt knows this, and she knows this well because her own daughter had a chronic illness, uh, a, a pulmonary um, fibrosis. And so she knows the extent of, of human suffering uh, and, and how organ transplants and the rest of it would only be temporary relief. So in this person's crazy mind, the way, the way out of um, both physical and existential suffering is to become a digital avatar of oneself and live in the, in the cloud. And if that doesn't leave somebody going, well, that's batshit crazy. Um, that person, you know, uh, be a great sci-fi writer, but how is this person actually trying to institute this and how far are they in their plan? Um, if that doesn't sound crazy enough, these people have actually thought through um, that they want legal rights uh, implemented um, now while they're working through how to do this so that those avatars are considered people. Um, and that also they are in open discussions about what it will look like where the avatar version of somebody uh, replicates by joining with another avatar version of somebody else in, in the cloud and then forming a new digital version, just like we would call a child. They at Gar, as far as uh, visualizing and working out the legal ramifications and what this would look like for the uh, procreation of digital avatars of uh, suicided people 
because that's ultimately the, what they want, suicided people entering the metaverse that they will then run for the, 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 the world in, in terms of that it's not a good thing to have flesh and blood anymore. They want you living inside the metaverse. Yeah, this is the crazy end game of the transhumanist movement, which is absolutely mind-blowing, and I, I agree with you. This is the crazy end of it, but unfortunately that crazy end of it is becoming mainstreamed to a large degree, and it seems that the acceptance of it has a broader appeal now post-COVID trauma, if you will. And I, I'm assuming that there is something in there in the psychology of the mass that as they get worn down, overrun with fear, kind of accepting the position of authority, that somewhere in there, there's a snap from a moral foundation to, a kind of, I would refer to it as a moral bankruptcy that occurs. And all of these ideas somehow is just they get dumped on them. They're like, okay, whatever. If it doesn't affect me, then I'm just going to let it be. I'm not going to resist it. Does that fit within a psychological model? Um, Absolutely. And I think what you've just described also is the method that's used. And what ran through my mind is, you know, sort of the story of the uh, the invisible, uh, you know, the the emperor is not wearing clothing. You know, I think that that in an adult version of that story, there would be, you know, the the distraction would be the to get to the point where the emperor could go down and be involved in a parade and um, and no one would say anything about the fact that the emperor is stark naked. But let's say that for an, an adult version, and I'm hoping that it's mostly an adult version of uh, audience that's listening to you. I mean, but let's say that the ultimate agenda uh, of uh, either the people uh, protecting the emperor or for some other gain, or the emperor themselves. Let's say it was a, you know, uh, a complete um, uh, in, you know, form of uh, body shame or embarrassment, or let's say it was literally around you know uh, uh, penis size. And so you know you don't, if you truly want to manipulate a system, you don't make laws and rules and boundaries and belief systems um, that 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 say uh, okay nobody can discuss you know the emperor's penis. But what you could do. Uh, is that you could build systems um, that ultimately uh, that you define what can and can't be discussed um, and that basically that there are consequences uh, for crossing through those lines and that could include anything out of the ordinary is not mentioned. You know, the, the most bizarre thing is that if you think about the amount of work that has been done uh, over the last few years, you know, see something, say something. Um, and then we have a, uh, a pandemic arrive where you've got millions of people around the world that have witnessed with their own eyes um, killing. You know, medical professionals will have to you know, reckon. There will be a reckoning, an understanding. There will be a lot of suicides uh, um, will come from people that will try and work out. Well, why didn't I speak up? Or I was there, you know, watching them kill this patient. This patient was doing fine, and then you know somebody arrived and prescribed remdesivir. Um, which, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, if you're a healthy person, um, you know, fittest athlete in the world and, and you get put on a course of remdesivir over a few days, um, your health is going to decline and uh, you keep going on it. There's a very, very good chance you're going to be dead within a week or two. I mean, it, so these people know this. Um, it's the reason that they weren't that they're getting the assistance from a lot of uh, medical professionals, uh, nurses um, that were not willing to, to administer these drugs. Um, and yet, Yet um, the emperor has got to a point where nobody can say anything 
um, or, or is willing to say anything about the things that are um, that are odd. So, you know, I, the, the highlight for me on it is that uh, not only did I train, um, most, uh, you know, uh, every agency, at least in the States, represented in, in trainings that uh, high level trainings that I've been giving over the last few years that in, that are really, you know, um, a, a sort of more professional version of see, see something, say something, and that by the bulk of the trainings that are given are what are you seeing, right? And helping people to understand, you know, a pattern and, and you know, um, getting over the psychology, psychological hurdles of, of, um, of, of, of seeing something odd and then not doing anything about it. And, you know, the teams of people that are involved in, um, in, the, in these campaigns and encouraging people to write in, uh, you know, to call the FBI's hotline or to, you know, um, leave a note somewhere. Um, you know, I, I, I sent information in 2021 about this bioweapon. Um, I had established with a, a team of scientists uh, that this thing was an envenomation, uh, that there were homologs, which are, um, for the non-biologists, homologs are just uh, synthetic uh, versions, um, um, mirror versions of, uh, of uh, natural substance, that these are um, synthetic venoms um, um, on the spike protein, um, and that ultimately that there was enough evidence already in June of 2021 for me to know that I could be called into a court of law or anywhere in the world and have to defend this position that SARS-CoV-2 was not causing a respiratory illness at all, um, that there were features of it that, that are, uh, were no different from any other biological attack, and that truly what you were seeing as a disease profile and the pathogenesis of SARS-CoV-2 is an envenomation. It is, a, it is the body's reaction uh, mostly to the neurotoxic components on the S-protein. Those same, those same S proteins were then um, used um, to create vaccines uh, around the world. And there were no choice. Um, all vaccine developers uh, were uh, given instructions and were only allowed to enter the space uh, to provide a vaccine if they were prepared to use the S protein. Um, other teams were told that uh, the great idea of uh, some other way of defeating this uh, with the vaccine was, was not allowed and they had to collaborate uh, with uh, foundations like the Gates Foundation to basically make sure that they stay in the box uh, of solutions that are provided. You will only color in uh, the picture with the crayons uh, that, that we give you. We don't want these other colors. We want only our solution. And that included um, using uh, the key component of a biological weapon um, in, in a, a so-called uh, you know, prevention strategy. And you know, that same agency that would tell you that it's your job uh, uh, to call in um, or to call attention to a, a suspicious package uh, or a potential bomb at a marathon, uh, that same agency didn't even bother to reach back out to me when they know me and actually ask me any more questions after emailing uh, the, the head of the, uh, the weapons of mass destruction um, uh, uh, the director of that division, as well as uh, the head of the behavioral analysis unit. Not a phone call, not a follow-up, not an email, not who are you working with, not can we, can we know what you know, nothing, zero. 
this would be the equivalent um, of, of, of literally finding out later that somebody uh, went over to the closest law enforcement office, uh, officer at the Boston Marathon and said, this uh, backpack right here, this one right here is about to go off and will uh, maim and kill these people and literally take it to the highest level of the people that preach that this is what needs to be done. And they did absolutely nothing to this day with that information. So that model you just presented, or that situation, I should say, is, is interesting because there's definitely indicators that at a certain level, high up in the food chain, there's a intentional act. Below that, there's a willingness to trust and make their obedience very rigid to that higher order and not question. What brings that about? That's fascinating to me because that structural design or outcome that we're currently living with, that system it seems to be pervasive across most of our government agencies right now. Well, I think going back to uh, a great way to answer it is that you brought up the Milgram experiment. And a great way of answering that is that basically most people believe that they're not going to be the person um, that's going to be, you know, going along with the instruction that ends up hurting somebody. They put themselves in a category. It's a, a bias that they're going to give themselves, um, you know, sort of um, believing you know, that they're that they have these greater powers than they really do. Um, and ultimately, in knowing that uh, that most people would fit into that category, then, then we should know that what really needs to be protected in society um, are those that are the tiny percentage of people that are willing to speak up always. And, uh, you know, that they will, uh, this is the, 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 the hill that they choose to die on in terms of, you know, uh, defending a truth um, or uh, really, you know, wanting, you know, r- rather resigning, quitting, becoming a whistleblower, um, whatever it is, there's going to be people that are um, unwilling um, to go along with something. And those are a very small percentage of people. Now, if you know that, um, then what you do is that you can't do it the day before you're trying to create the crime. You do it over years. Um, You manage to identify who those people are. And um, you you basically make their lives uh, really difficult or you get them out of the systems much earlier um, and so what you land up with um, is you know, uh, essentially the police force uh, of Henry Ford. Um, you land up with um, a private uh, um, law enforcement. You land up with something that most the public know as the cops. They, they know as the police officers. Um, but ultimately what Henry Ford was able to do um, is he was able to start his own uh, police force um, and he was able to you know, only create the, the, and keep uh, the people employed that were going to be his henchmen. Uh, those those that were willing to squash the unions, those that were willing to uh, measure some pain out to somebody that was speaking up about some unsafe or unsatisfactory conditions. And so you can change out uh, whether it's, um, you know, you, you don't start with leadership. You start, you know, systemically changing out uh, the structures. Um, but what you left with is ultimately, I hate to say it, but you left with uh, people or they wear the costumes, they're wearing the outfits um, of what something represented, but you're not left with that many people that truly represent that profession. And there are, um, I've, I've, I've gone from tolerating many of my own colleagues um, in their excuses of why they haven't done more 
uh, to not tolerating it at all, um, and especially when they um, when when uh, the FDA uh, for the world and the CDC uh, gave permission for this biological weapon to now be used uh, to attack infants and children, um, I lost I, I I've I've lost I've lost not only respect but uh, now at a point of of zero zero understanding and zero tolerance for people that I know that have the integrity and ethics and morality um, and are yet, yet they're still in their systems. Um, and so now they've really crossed over the line and that they're another one of the, uh, you know, the people uh, that are willing to wear the costume um, of the profession that they're in, but they are truly no longer professionals. Do you think that we're witnessing a cult? This, this is very cultish mentality. Is this a cult that's evolved and I'm not saying that it has a formal guru leading it, but it's almost as if this natural, I'm going to call it a natural evolution of apathy on one side of the society and kind of maniacal behavior on another has, has created a sort of cult structure. Would, would that be a fair statement? Yeah, and and I think it's um, I think that it becomes hard when we we don't have adequate words to describe something. Uh, the word cult is probably um, the the closest match, um, you know, to the psychology of what's taking place, and um, you know, the idea of mass, uh, you know, mass psychosis, um, and and uh, the forming of mass psychosis um, as it relates to genocides and as it relates to um, cults. I think what's interesting about it is that they that can only be successful if there is um, energy and structure and there is actionable steps that are working that are put into place to help people to create the the, the noble lie uh, the ultimate form of the noble lie which is um, that uh, by harming and killing somebody um, there is societal benefit and so because even the highest forms of, of some form of hypnosis some form of um, person who um, you know has got has been taken over through the power of suggestion um with without you know the, the, without a um uh, sort of the um the glitch you have to be able to use the loophole um the exploit here is that somebody won't cross over um, their own form of of uh, morality and ethics um unless um, there's been enough work put up uh, up front that when they do that, they've done it for the greater good. Um, and so, yes, the, 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 that can extend as far as leaders being able to get their um, members uh, of a call to suicide. Right. So um, what you're seeing and, and where I'd push the boundary on, on the previous work um, uh, of people that are talking about this in some form of um, mass psychosis is I think that you're on you're onto something that's a much closer match. And I think what why it's important to to say it uh, um, and, and to point to a cult like feeling um, is that um, without that, you know, the outcome could be missed that that we're really the drive here um, is mass suicide. Um, and, and this is probably why um, at the earliest stages of the pandemic, I felt a um, um, an ethical um, and moral um, 
guidance that I that I had to be involved in in understanding this, trying to prevent it and respond to it. If if it was going to be my work and if it was going to be uh, my profession and if it's what I was, you know, it's what I'm the best at uh, uh, and what I practice each day is understanding how mass killings take place. Um, then when I'm starting to see those characteristics emerge in front of me, um, I felt a responsibility to um, to call it how it is. And 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 one of the things that I recognize recognized uh, uh, pretty early on uh, is this um, drive where, where um, you know, the self-harm um, that everyone's willing to do to themselves, um, you know, locking themselves up, um, you know, uh, uh, going along with the idea that uh, in, you know, to save the world from sickness, one shouldn't exercise and one shouldn't go uh, and, and practice one's faith um, and one shouldn't join a crowd of people to solve a problem. And um, you shouldn't be outside in fresh air. You shouldn't use the natural sunlight to kill coronaviruses, which is the most lethal thing to a coronavirus uh, is UVC. Um, and so you shouldn't use that. All of these things, um, uh, ultimately, and from a common sense point of view, if you were looking at a cult, you would be going, oh, I see what they're doing. Um, this is the Kool-Aid. These various things that they're asking uh, the public to do, they end with um, higher rates of death. And the data now matches that. Um, there's no there's no prize for me or you or anybody else that has spotted this early. Um, I think that it's a painful um, observation uh, rather than a celebratory one to observe something um, and see that you were correct uh, in 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 your brothers and sisters on coming home with you. Um, there's no fun. Uh, unless you're a psychopath, um, you know, there's a term schadenfreude, um, taking delight in somebody else's uh, misfortunes. Um, well, there are obviously a lot of people um, that do that. Um, and when it is seen as non-harmful, that's a form of humor. You know, so the idea of somebody slipping on a banana is supposed to be funny. But in reality, if you know that it's an actor slipping on banana, you could be laughing at it. If you're seeing an old person crack their hip, um, because they slipped on a banana. Um, and more importantly, if the perpetrator uh, is still there that put down the banana to crack the old person's hip and you're not doing anything about it, well, then you have joined uh, the psychopath, uh, not only enjoying what happened, uh, but you are now complicit to that crime. This is literally watching an evolution of the Jim Jones cult. And, and the people's temple you just you used the parallel there very well that the the actions were the kool-aid and the ultimate end result is the suicide which we could argue is the shot um absolutely and there's uh you know there's there's an even closer match to it um you've got the 1995 uh tokyo attack uh you, by basically using sarin and SARS-CoV-2 um you know uh, there are obviously some uh, biological uh, differences i don't want to put it out there that their reaction to this uh, the human body is uh, the same as sarin would cause but ultimately SARS-CoV-2 is acting as a nerve agent and so the uh, the 1995 uh, tokyo subway attack was by a cult and they were a doomsday cult and uh, the leader of that cult did it as a distraction um, they attacked the subways with sarin um, because uh, he got word that they were under investigation and their compounds were going to be raided and so he thought well if he creates a distraction that there is a worse enemy out there then the japanese government will have to take eyes off this cult for long enough for them to come up with a plan 
Um, now, I think that that's also far-fetched because I think that ultimately what these leaders are after is body count. And so what they'll do is they'll often pull the trigger, just like a school attacker. Um, they will attack in a way that gives them the most amount of body count. And it is the proverbial burn the bridges. I mean, they are going for it when they can, knowing that to leave it any longer, they're not going to be able to do it at all. And they'll take what they can get. And so, you know, you are seeing the emergence of, uh, of a cult-like behavior, but ultimately, um, I don't know that the world has ever seen um, the a cult where the cult um, you know, decides that the, the secondary layer, um, the leadership of that cult, uh, is going to be um, mostly. Um, uh, government officials, um, you know, government officials that would go through um, indoctrination and leadership and be incentivized uh, to ultimately become the executors. And I think this is why a lot of people are comfortable with um, close, you know, the closest match in a, in a decently uh, short time span is the Holocaust, um, because this is another time where you could have, you know, irrational thought and behavior in a very cult-like way, um, you know, uh, being uh, uh, driven in a systematic, um, uh, planned, methodical, um, well-executed way. Um, it, it, it's not surprising that we don't actually have in, in human history, that we don't have that many of examples where, where somebody's been able to do it on such a, a massive scale. The Zyklon B of our time um, uh, that was used um, uh, in the, in the you know, so-called showers and the gas chambers, our, our Zyklon B are drugs like remdesivir and other drugs that have been used for euthanasia across, across the, um, across the, the world. Um, our, um, our gas chambers um, are, were originally our ventilators, um, but they were too slow. Um, they were the algorithm was was off in terms of the fact that yes you could get your your um, you know you know I think it was 40k at the time for sticking somebody on a ventilator and call it call, uh, calling it COVID but at some point your 40k is not valuable when that person is still alive and it's 60 days um, and so you know the weeks that it was taking and um, and and with uh, good attention to these folks um, by really you know, be dedicated med medical professionals, even though they were instructed to operate these machines from outside the room um, and not go into the room at all and not give the care to the patient. I mean, even with that, the human body is so uh, resilient um, that people were um, surviving too long. Um, and so drugs like remdesivir and other euthanasia drugs um, were brought out. I actually had the misfortune of, um, of meeting and spending time with Dr. Jack Kevorkian. And uh, Dr. Kevorkian called this, um, he literally compared the U.S. government to Nazis. I was at a presentation uh, that he did uh, down in Florida where he took that giant U.S. flag and he had changed the stars into a swastika. And um, there were a couple of things with that. He called it, he understood that the U.S. government was becoming more and more Nazi-like. Um, and I think that what I didn't understand at the time was that if that was the case, then the Nazis were going to attack the world, which we've now seen. Um, shockingly, I think the hardest thing for patriots to, to deal with, um, you know, the denial that most patriots are still um, under, is that it's very easy to blame China um, when you're told to blame China. Another um, study just came out today trying to point back to the Wuhan 
understand markets for this. Absolute nonsense, absolute drivel. Um, and so it's very easy for the uh, perpetrators of a crime to point elsewhere um, and, and, and try and throw people off the scent trail. I think what's relevant over here is that you know, we've been talking a lot about denial and depersonalization and distraction. I'm wondering to myself what the patriots of this nation, what they'll do and how they'll feel and what will change when they finally realize that this is us, that this is uh, this is a U.S. funded bio warfare program. Uh, that it was decades in the making and that we pulled the trigger on this. This is our bomb. This is our pandemic. Um, we have the most uh, to gain financially. But unfortunately, if for somebody that is um, thinking that that it's fine, they'll just let the great empire of the U.S. do this because then it means that it will preserve uh, their great, wonderful life is that uh, this plan um, is, is a direct um, a response um, to those that have done it, ending the U.S. as the great empire and merging it. You know, this is ultimately a global merger um, and merging um, the world's powers into one centralized, undefeatable power. And anybody that's trying to stop in its way will meet the wrath um, of, of this force. And so um, a patriot you know, she would, would uh, you know, I think the hardest uh, reckoning will be um, owning this uh, situation as us. And that um, ultimately, I, I, I'd say that's a great day because when that happens, we can truly have some very capable people willing to have the discussions uh, uh, that move on to say, okay, so how do we solve the problem? You know where is where is the solution? Where where are our levers? Um, you know, let's 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 um, let's end this, right? I mean, um, I want to um, uh, briefly uh, make some parallels here that um, I'm purposefully bringing some shame. Um, shame is a great motivator uh, for a lot of people that are um, at their core protectors. Um, you know, uh, getting angry about something is very necessary for Neanderthals and very necessary for the protectors and sentinels of the world um, to do something. You know, it, it is one of the ways that we know it's time to get up. You know, the um, you, know, you sort of have to feel some of that emotion uh, to find the energy to do something about a set of circumstances um, because we're wired that way. And so I think part of it is... Um, you know the the idea that that when 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 people you know patriots realize um, that that this is um, being orchestrated uh, by the leaders, the powers that be that are um, that we've you know um, put in places uh, that have then hurt ourselves, you know, our families, our communities, and then um, extended out to the world. Um, I think that what it does on that day, it starts saying, okay, so we, we, we need to end this. And the parallel here is that people are very, very, very willing to criticize um, other defenders and other protectors um, in, in terms of visualizing what they would do in that battle. I'm going to say, I'm going to, say to any person who's listening that is military or law enforcement that thinks that they would be the person to run towards gunfire uh, in an active shooter type situation, no, you would not. You've watched over 7 million people worldwide, over a million people in this nation alone uh, uh, meet an early demise. You have witnessed murder in front of you and you've done nothing. 
um, simply because there was no percussion. And so without that percussion, it was a great excuse to say, if I heard something, I would run to it. Well, sometimes we all know um, that the uh, lethality of a weapon is not going to come with a bang. And so any person who's willing to know that they have you know, any knowledge of weaponry should have known that what they've really done is they've chosen to look the other way, thinking that that would bring their salvation. And in fact, the minute that it crossed the line into their women and children, um, it should have been the wake-up call of the men across the nation to rise up and end this. And so the fact that they haven't, um, I absolutely am saying it. And if somebody was, you know, um, uh, you're probably saying, you know, well, that guy's pissed me off enough to punch him in his face right now. Yes, um, I'm going to say it in the way that I think that it is um, absolutely cowardly behavior. And if, if anybody has got anything to say about people responding to Uvalde or any other attack that takes place in this nation, they need to make sure um, that they can prove to themselves uh, and, and, and those that they're criticizing um, that they have been actively involved in trying to stop um, the murder um, of um, you know, millions of people in this nation alone. That's absolutely a fantastic framing. I have one last question for you, and it has to do with all of this apathy that you're referring to. And it's also tied in with something you said earlier, which is we referring to systems, how we, we have kind of a, a takeover of the system by a very extreme, which we refer to as a cult. Can this be resurrected or reset with justice and appropriate accountability? Meaning that where we are right now as a society, we're running pretty much as a zero accountability society with minimal to no justice. If we are able to reset kind of the moral foundation of accountability, and implement true justice, can this then lead to not only a, a, a stepping forward of society, but a resilience within its system to not let this happen again? Absolutely. And I say that with confidence because we've got uh, real world situations where this was the set of circumstances uh, and it looked like it was going to end differently. And then um, people rose up and did something about it. But I think the lessons in there um, shouldn't be romanticized. I think the closest match uh, to what we are going through um, is, uh, is the plague of Egypt. I think there are multiple similarities, both in terms of the biology um, of this pandemic and their plague their leadership, uh, what Egypt had become, the technology that they were um, using both for um, health benefits, but then also as biological weapons, um, the, um, the methods that were used um, uh, to defeat their enemy um, are right there in front of us, including, I'll say, um, a fantastic part about this for anybody of faith um, is that the uh, the rituals of the Last Supper or the Passover service, uh, every piece, um, every part of that ritual, including the food and the copper plate that it was on, is actually um, all part of the uh, a a pandemic and uh, biological uh, warfare mitigation strategy. Um, you know, pretty much everything that emerged um, over the last uh, two years, you know, over two years 
was around the various substances that could be thrown at this to help the human body combat it are actually all there on the on the uh, Passover plate. Um, and there are other stories within um, that uh, story of Exodus. And the very choice of the word Exodus, uh, in my opinion, is the giveaway. Um, you cannot defeat the system by playing it, uh, playing with the system and staying in it. Um, we will only defeat the system with an Exodus. Um, I think the story of Exodus also points uh, to um, the fact that it, it does the change um, will take a generation, um, that those that have lived through this, um, many people um, will still be extremely susceptible to go back to their idols. Many people will still want to return from the desert. Um, you know, anybody can take out a GPS or go onto Google Maps and see. Uh, it doesn't take long for uh, the pathway from Egypt uh, to Israel. So what were they doing in the desert for 40 years? It is only a metaphor. 40 years is a generation. Um, it is, uh, you know, by the time you've gone through your 20s, your 30s, and you've got children of yourself, um, it is the next generation. It is that birth of that child to a 40-year-old that's going to finally be free from the slavery um, that a uh, that a predatory system brings. There is an aspect, though, that we didn't cover that is also, if I lost anybody by sounding uh, uh, too whimsical, um, I want them to know that uh, there is an aspect to this that is purely chemical. So why they've been pushing boosters and why they're going to continue trying to push mass boosters um, is that the chemical component of, uh, of that vaccine, uh, which is, you know, the, it, it's a incorrect, I'm being forced to use uh, an incorrect word for something based on the CDC changing the definition of a vaccine. Um, that gene-based immune stimulant um, that of, uh, of including the uh, the spike protein um, and its neurotoxins. Uh, those neurotoxins bind with something called nicotinic acetylcholine receptors. Um, and so you have, um, if you want to understand uh, part of the re uh, response, uh, for example, the lack of smell and taste that comes with uh, with exposure um, to SARS uh, to uh, to that spike protein. Um, you have to look at uh, the science around that. Uh, Long-term smokers also lose their taste and smell. What you're seeing is something called depolarization of ion channels. Um, and in, if anybody that's an electrician out there, they'll be happy to know that what we're really talking about is the work that they do every day. These are molecular switches, um, and a switch can uh, um, get stuck. It is either in the on position or it's in the off position or it's neither and can't turn on or off. So it's not dead. It's not gone. Um, it is inoperable. And so there is a window of opportunity uh, for these uh, predators to use uh, that for a few months uh, post the um, um, exposure uh, from an injectable spike protein based um, gene therapy immune stimulant that that will stay in the system and create compliance. This is an incapacitator, if anybody wants to look up bioweapons and know where some of this technology comes from. Um, the bioweapon part of SARS-CoV-2 um, has numerous points of evolutionary history, but one of the uh, parts to it is that some of this technology comes from um, um, uh, 
research, uh, um, bio-warfare research of how you develop nerve agents that neither kill nor maim, but change behavior, leaving people with compliance, brain fog, um, uh, tiredness, um, um, and even um, helplessness. Um, and so there are ways that, um, that, that chemistry manipulates one's thinking. Um, and I will end at least on my side with the scariest part um, of people going for continuous boosters um, is that the pathway um, of that uh, what's called down regulation of the nicotinic uh, um, acetylcholine receptor is uh, a um, almost an exact match uh, to Alzheimer's. And so with neurodegenerative diseases, the worse it gets, the, the, the worse the, um, the lack of awareness, uh, the self-awareness of the person that it's happening to decreases. So you made a point earlier where you said, you know, this feels very cult-like, we can't get to these people. Um, there is a, um, a, um, an exploit of the human brain um, that the more trauma someone has, um, the more they will um, not care about uh, that head trauma um, because to understand how dysfunctional, deranged, or um, um, disabled um, they had become uh, can be uh, without um, uh, that being dulled down, that level of suffering would get the person to suicide a lot quicker along the pathway. So as a um, natural biological reaction um, to brain injury, um, there is often lack of awareness. And so there is a need for these perpetrators uh, to keep our military and our law enforcement spiked up um, so they can be checked out. And so anybody listening to this uh, who's at the waning end, do yourself a favor, uh, an experiment, and the longer you can uh, stay away from that next shot, you will find yourself seeing what we see. That is amazing right there. So I'm going to ask this last one. Where can people find your work? But will you please also talk about Copperine, which you developed? Um, gladly. So they can find me, um, and I uh, always make sure that um, what I'm currently doing is collecting emails at drtalbron.com, uh, simply because I am actually still um, on Facebook as a place that people can, um, uh, you know, find me, and and um, uh, people email me also um, uh, from. Uh, whether they go onto um, uh, the Dr. Tal Braun or if they go to one of those links um, to biochem science, um, you know, people send me messages. Um, I always tell people there was a time where I could uh, literally have the time to answer personally. And so, you know, those that put in the effort um, do not take it personally. And I always appreciate the messages and information people are sending. Um, the other aspect to this is, um, so I am involved um, currently in knowing that, uh, one of the things that I that I have to do is stay practical. And so right at the beginning of this pandemic, I, um, I understood two things um, and I, there won't be time to go into it, but the um, uh, one was a crucial understanding that copper uh, is a major part um, of, uh, of su the survivability of this exposure to, to the spike protein. Um, there are numerous uh, reasons for that um, uh, on its um, 
you know, one of the, the chief reasons for that is that um, copper in the body uh, uh, as a, a supercharged iron, a two plus extra proton iron, um, it competes uh, with all the horrible stuff that could happen when iron uh, gets out of hemoglobin and is free floating. And when iron is no longer um, being bioavailable to our energy systems, um, it is literally nanoparticle shrapnel. So I know everybody's you know overly concerned about the things that they think might be in the in the vaccines. One of the things that are um, is known is that oxidative stress in the body and part of what's happening um, uh, from from uh, exposure to the spike protein, whether it's just the spike protein uh, or whether it's a vaccine version or whether it uh, uh, could have come from being attached to a virus or any other microbe. Um, one of the things that's going to happen to the human body. Um, is it literally makes uh, cells explode. And when those cells explode, uh, for anybody that's got uh, any background uh, in explosives, um, you're really looking at nanoparticle-sized um, pipe bombs and that the shrapnel in this case is free floating iron. So copper plays this um, giant role um, uh, in, in, uh, in, the, in the body system um, against oxidative stress um, and uh, acts as a chelator, um, a filtration system. Um, and when it comes to disease uh, mitigation, um, the body creates something called dismutases, which is copper and one of the dismutases uh, that's extremely relevant uh, to uh, this form of envenomation um, uh, and, and, and form of oxidative stress is copper and zinc uh, bind with sulfur um, and compete uh, with the glycoprotein. Um, and what, they, what it's really doing is uh, in competition, uh, a non-fancy word, a non-biological word is that it's acting as an anti-corrosive. Um, it is literally acting as a sealant um, against some of the destructive forces that are taking place from uh, acidity and the body producing copious amounts of hydrogen peroxide. And so copper and zinc in combination um, uh, becomes very important. And um, so I worked with a team of chemical engineers, um, developed this compound called copperine, uh, copperine.com with two Ps, um, E-R-I-N-E, -E, um, and basically um, that um, uh, is available. I can say to anybody and uh, somebody with integrity, um, you have to be willing currently to put in an order. Um, and like uh, somewhat of a, one of those GoFundMe or whatever they are, those campaigns where someone has a great idea, this product already exists and is shipping daily, um, but it is a small-scaled operation and we are currently working out how to scale up. And so somebody being has to be willing to be patient and be excited when their product comes to them, um, which people are. Um, um, our customers are, um, I have to say, um, and I and I, I mean this in the most sincere way, um, seeing that people are are willing to live in a world where nothing, uh, where, where, where everything doesn't have to be Amazon the next day and that people are willing to wait for a product of merit and value has restored my, ho uh, my hope uh, as part of uh, uh, what you asked earlier, if this is solvable. The fact that people still want um, um, other people um, offering solutions um, and are willing to um, uh, support it and are willing to wait for it, um, it really, really gives me hope um, that, that, that other solutions um, and, um, and projects uh, will get the, um, the, the, 
the breath that they need. Um, and sometimes that's just time and people's um, uh, support. The other um, side uh, uh, of another product that I um, that I have at Biochem is an antioxidant uh, uh, called anacardic. And anacardic is a incredibly powerful antioxidant, anti-inflammatory and has anti-cancer properties. Um, now with both products, um, this might shock people in terms of this is not normally the way people do business. Let's say somebody can get hold of my products and they're willing to uh, wait for them. Great. Um, both products are replaceable. Um, and it might be strange for me to say, um, if you uh, don't want to use our products, well, here's the alternative. Um, my goal, my mission, uh, and I'm mission driven, is to keep as many people alive uh, and thriving as possible. And so um, I want to say that both of those products are replaceable by forms of mechanisms that do the same thing. For example, if somebody uses our bioavailable copperine, um, there is huge benefit in using it in that way. But at the very least, what they should be doing, if they're taking zinc, they have to be taking a copper supplement. And if they can uh, make sure that they take um, good amounts of copper and zinc um, and make sure that they're getting sulfur in their diet, their body is actually making the natural substance um, of what, what copperine is. We are only providing another pathway uh, to get those uh, profound ingredients uh, in a ready, willing, and able way to participate in, in, in the body's defense. The second uh, one is that anacardic um, has been the strongest antioxidant that I can find on the planet. That doesn't mean to say that there aren't other incredibly powerful antioxidants. The most important thing that the vaccinated can do um, to prevent uh, their the um, uh, progression um, of, of the illnesses that this spike protein wants to cause, um, the most important thing they have to do is take in really great nutrition, and that includes antioxidants, both from food and supplements. Um, and if they are you know, getting wonderful, very high level uh, food, and they are being very intentional with what they're eating, great. Um, and even then, I would say, because of the power uh, that, that venom has on the body and can get into, I think the latest research is showing um, what I suspected all along, which is that part of what where the reservoir is for these spike proteins is bone marrow. And so if the immune system is compromised, um, or if you go through a period of stress, that is the time, just like a parasite, that is the time that the spike proteins are going to emerge and sort of cause a recurrence of the those systems and that um, ultimately that corrosion that oxidative stress is the is the major problem so um, a competing in, uh, uh, antioxidant that i would say is right up there on the podium with anacardic is resveratrol um, and once again here's the nice wonderful faith-based biblical reference in that most uh, faith uh, faiths in the world rely on wine as part of uh, rituals that are used um, and wine uh, especially red wine uh, is just filled uh, with antioxidants. So for those that are listening to us uh, babble away here, um, I think that if you're somewhere in the world where they'll say it's now a good time to have uh, 
um, a, a drink. Um, uh, the sun is setting somewhere. I've just given a bunch of people permission uh, to feel good about their choice to take in their antioxidants in a glass of red wine this evening. Um, the other uh, form of getting good copper, um, and I win the approval every time of uh, many uh, women uh, listeners, uh, is to say that in dark chocolate, real dark chocolate, not just uh, you know uh, milk chocolate that uh, that is um, um, made to look like dark chocolate, actual dark chocolate uh, is filled with wonderful amounts of copper. And so between the red wine and the and uh, and um, the dark chocolate and the absolute encouragement for people to um, be eating meat and especially before meat becomes inaccessible, I think I've won over a bunch of uh, of, of fellow Neanderthals that are listening with us. Um, and uh, um, and you know w w with that, I, I hope that I've provided some some uh, some encouragement. And then you know I ch I challenge you right at the beginning in terms of yes no answers. The simple answer is are we going to prevail? Yes. Well, Dr. Brown, we always close with a prayer. And if it's okay with you, I'll do a prayer. I would love that. Thank you. Father, we just want to thank you today for this very blessed meeting to once again to invigorate our knowledge and understanding of the scope of the events that we're currently dealing with to also give us an insight into our own influences and behavior and how we can continue to seek a better and clearer path. Father, we just ask that you'll continue to bless Dr. Braun with all the work that he's doing and continue to encourage people to find those ways that they can empower themselves to see clearly through this difficult time to embrace that principles of Exodus as we step away from this control system and free ourselves into a new path that can reinvigorate our soul and our love in you. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Dr. Braun, thank you. It was a fantastic interview and just a great topic that I haven't had the opportunity to explore with somebody with your expertise for a long time and very refreshing. I'll share this with you in terms of that you, you closed with a prayer. Um, so uh, the technology of, uh, of Copperine um, is first mentioned um, in, in, um, in the Old Testament. Um, and it is mentioned uh, when they talk about um, in the Exodus, um, the, the Jews ask, you know, what are you going to do about, about the fiery snakes? And, um, and the answer is uh, those that, um, that look upon the brazen serpent uh, will be fine. Now, uh, we use the word look upon, um, and it gets translated as this idea in a very sort of childish way that, that what Moses was, was suggesting was that you just have to look at this, uh, uh, you know, this staff uh, that's this uh, you know, snake-shaped uh, staff and that you'll be fine. No, the, the words look on uh, is much more closely matched to those that use the product. In other words, if you believe in it enough to use it, it's going to have benefit. Um, and then I'll leave you thinking about how per perverted and, uh, and how long this battle has been in, in terms of you know, sort of good versus evil using wellness and illness is that um, they corrupted they took the copper snake um, and they understood its technology. Um, it's not copper, it's brass, it's copper and zinc combined. And they actually were small um, 
they were looked like small little worms, not snakes, but people were given a brass object and they would uh, basically scrape off um, the brass object at least twice a day and inhale the particles. And so that got corrupted to the point that that is the medical symbol. They, they literally stole the technology, right? Kept it from people. Nobody knows how powerful copper and zinc with sulfur bonds are. Uh, and that they they use it uh, on everything that they own, possess, and uh, license, and exploit, and profit from. Um, they use it as a symbol, but actually drop drop the the benefit for humanity. They 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 did the opposite. It's been copper has had a a slur campaign, a delete culture from from thousands of years ago onwards, and uh, and even now it is one of the most important ingredients that makes a difference. Uh, in in the survivability and for everything that we overly get overly excited about its efficacy, we are in a war in keeping it. Thank you, sir. I want to thank you again. Have a very blessed day, and I do look forward to talking to you more in the near future. My pleasure. Thank you. Keep in contact. Bye now. Okay. God bless. Okay, bye bye. Well, Patriots, that was Dr. Tao Braun, and truly a, a brilliant mind in this fight and, and a lot of important details in that interview on the sorts of things that we're facing, the challenges that we're facing. And again, to kind of some understanding of some natural ways to get past some of these challenges to the immune system. And at the same time, looking at a bigger picture of what we're going to have to do as humanity, we really have to continue to strive to build a relationship with each other. And just like he's done with his copperine, he has a product, but notice how he's also offering natural solutions. And his, his motive is true. It's not, it's not just about lining our pockets. Things have a cost that's real, but he's out here trying to just ensure that people continue to strengthen their immune system, survive this time. And then in a process, like we're all trying to work together, that we raise, rise up above this pit that they want to keep us in. There's a lot of people that have been captured by this cult. And it's not going to get any easier other than the fact that with the continued pounding of their lies in confrontation with the truths that we can do and we can deliver, there's a lot of hope. But one thing to remember that the most powerful thing that we can be doing right now truly is in our way of introducing so many people to the love of Jesus. This doesn't have to be Bible thumping and it doesn't have to be verse quoting. As we walk this very strong place, a place where we're walking with joy in our hearts without concern or fear, we're living our lives, we're working together to build strong communities, those are beacons that people will be drawn to that want to learn how to be like that. And to get there, there is a path and a process. We can lead them to it. They have to choose to walk in that path if they do. But where we are right now is a society that's still very divided. But what's going to bring it together or what's going to make the difference anyway for this nation will be the true remnant. Those that keep Christ before them, God in their heart in all things, and we align in all that we do to try to walk away from the darkness and walk into the light truly together and with our love of Father in all that we do. So Patriots, keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. Amazing times we live. So keep your prayers up. God's listening. God's moving boldly. And we have to listen closely to everything he puts on our heart. 
in the end, God will always win. But we are here in this time, in this place for just such a time as this. We are at war. So we need to walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ, occupy the land, expand the kingdom, and keep our mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tonight for Fishers of Men. Until then or until the next time, God bless and out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward, by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who move forward, and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy the faith, the devotion, which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples, it has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant 
that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. We push. We climb. We never give in. We become the nightmare that evil didn't know exist. We pray. We stand. We live by the words, in God we trust. We fear nothing. We are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath.